Remain standing, if you would. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, and, and let us read from verse 13 through the end of the chapter, verse 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not uh, consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for uh, this opportunity that we have this morning to, to hear your word, uh, God, to uh, have you speak to us and to teach us. I, I, I pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, that, that the words that I speak would not just be the words of man, but that it would be the words of God. So, Lord, please guide and, and direct me this morning, but, Lord, also help us as your people to hear, to listen. May your word be a delight to our soul. Lord, may, may you stir within us a joy and, and a love for you. Uh, God, may you uh, cause us to, to follow and to walk in the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. So how many of you remember learning to ride a bicycle? Okay, for some of you, that may not have been too long ago. For others of us, it may have been decades, I don't know. But, you know, when you learn to ride a bicycle, I don't care what age you are, when you learn, most likely it was a little bit scary, okay? Because it most likely involves some falls, right? Maybe even some banged up knees and elbows. In my case, it resulted in a broken arm. But I'm not going to tell you the story of that. You'll have to catch me later on and I'll tell you the story of that. But there are sometimes some hard lessons that you have to learn when it comes 
to riding the bike, maybe lessons about gravity and, and gravel or you know, balance and pavement or things like that. But once you learn to ride the bike, it's pretty exciting, is it not? I mean, aren't you glad that you learned to ride a bike? There's, there's a lot of freedom that a person can have as they learn to ride a bike. And, you know, kids, that not only means that you can ride in your driveway, but maybe as your parents go for a walk, you can ride your bike uh, with them as well. Or maybe as you get older, you can uh, hook up with other friends in the neighborhood as you ride your bike over to their house. Or if you live out in the country, maybe you can go on a, a long trek of country roads. But it's, it's really sort of exciting. Well, in a similar way, one of the most enjoyable experiences of the Christian life is, is growing in faith and love by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it is actually experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know what I'm talking about? You know, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you, you understand. You see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life begin to change your thinking, begin to change your desires even. And you see your will changing as well. And, and it's exciting to see yourself becoming a different person. Now that happens usually over a long period of time. It's not something that happens overnight. But still, nonetheless, it's an exciting thing. And, and to see that Christ has set us free. And, and you notice in, in our scripture reading that we read this morning, in verse 13, that Christ has set us free, but the freedom he has given to us is so that we might love others, so that we might serve others. Uh, we've been set free from bondage to the flesh and our, and our own desires. You know, for, for most people, if you ask them, what does it mean to be free? They would probably define it this way. It means I get to do whatever I want. But you know what? There's actually a lot of bondage in that. And Paul says, God didn't leave you there. He actually has set you free even from your own desires so that you could actually care about people even more than you care about yourself where you are free to serve people and to give to people. That's the kind of freedom that the Lord gives us. But to do these things, we need to understand how to walk by the Spirit. We need to learn how to ride the bicycle, right? And uh, so this morning, I want us to look at this, of what it means to live by the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to initially talk about, well, how do we live by the Spirit? But, but rather, I want to sort of look at the principles and, and the things that Paul is talking about here. Because if, if you've been with us as we've gone through this series of what it means to be devoted to God, you, you've seen that the imperative or the command that God gives us always flows out of the indicatives or the facts or understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. If you don't understand what God has done in your life as a believer, if you don't understand the facts, then when you read the Bible and read the commands, then you're going to be very tempted just to do those things in your own strength. And you will fail. And you will feel, fail epically, right? There will be no change. There, there, you know, there, there's no fruit for the kingdom of God. It's just you and your own self-effort. But as you understand who you are in Jesus Christ and what he has already done for you first, and then you seek to live in that reality to obey the commands that God has given us, then we see the fruit of the Spirit and the way that God works in the life of his people. 
And so I want us to, to just begin today by looking at the facts, ma'am. We just want to look at the facts, right? Uh, isn't that what they said in Dragnet, I think, if I remember right? The facts, just the facts. But anyway, so we want to look at the indicatives and, and what Paul lays out for us in verses 16 and 17. It's very simple, and, and it can be summarized like this. And this is sort of the main idea, that the Christian life is characterized by an ongoing battle. The Christian life is characterized by an ongoing battle. Now, you know, you may sometimes wonder, why is life so hard? It seems like there's always this, this struggle, this tension that, that, that I'm going through, and, and, and that may throw you for a loop. But, but Paul says in verse 16, particularly in verse 17, that we have this great battle taking place where the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are in conflict with one another. They're opposing one another to keep us from doing what we want to do. And so the Christian life involves the Christian in an ongoing, lifelong conflict. You're like, oh, well, great. Thanks a lot, Pastor Rick. You know, but, but, but that's, that's it. And, and, and there's a reason for that. Now, uh, who exactly is this battle with? What does this battle look like? Where, do, where does it take place? I want us to sort of look at these a little bit. He, Paul says here, it's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, Paul uses the term flesh, or sarx, S-A-R-X, uh, in many different ways uh, in his writings. Uh, one way that it's sometimes used is to talk about the physical body. You know, we talk about how we're flesh and blood, or flesh and bones, right? And sometimes it's used in that regard. Other times, it's to refer to us as human beings, as, as our humanity, the complete person, our, our body in our soul. But, but most of the time in Paul's writings, the word has a specialized meaning, and it's talking about the human nature under the dominion of sin. The human nature under the dominion of sin, corrupted by sin, and, and powerless to reverse the effects of sin in our life. As much as we want to stop sinning, we just, we just can't help but, but do that as we live in the flesh. Paul really is describing a life that is alienated from God and, and that is in the grips of the evil one. And, and we sort of see what that looks like in everyday life in verses 19 through 21, right? Where he talks about the works of the flesh. And I'm not going to read through all of those, but you can read through that and you can see that they are ugly and, and awful things. But the Bible doesn't just talk about the flesh in regards to what goes on inside of a person. It also can refer to the environment in which we live as well. You see, before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we live in the flesh. We, are, we breathe the, the polluted atmosphere of, of sin and death, and we share the, the nature of a fallen world. And so as, as any person is born... They're born with this sinful nature, and they were, they were bound to live according to that nature. But the world around them has that same nature. Paul talks about that. Look, at, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Just flip forward a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And Paul is describing what life was like for these Christians before they came to faith in Christ. And he said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins 
in which he once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so, so you see here sort of that, that uh, dual idea of the flesh. It's both the, the environment in which we live and it, it is the struggle that we have. And so flesh is maybe another way of describing the domination and impact on our lives of the present evil age. If you look back at Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul talks about the present evil age. And if, like I said, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, uh, you remember us talking about how the New Testament is divided up into different epics, different categories of time. You know, and it, and, and it talks about the present evil age, which is where we live now with the dominion of sin over the world. But also there is this age to come for the believer where Christ rules and where he reigns. And, and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that, that Christ rose again from the dead. And, and so he, he uh, sits now, he ascended and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within his people. And so we as believers live in union with Christ. Christ is in us by his Holy Spirit. But we are also in Christ as we live by faith in the realities and the commands given to us in the Word of God. And so it's Christ in us and us in Christ. And so Christians participate in this life in the age to come. We're not just bound to this present evil age. We, we actually, there's part of our lives, our, our, our thinking, our nature in which we live out of now is part of this age to come. And so there's, for the Christian, sort of this duplicity, that, or not duplicity, but this, this dual reality that, that they experience. And Paul uh, described the Christian in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, in this way, as we think about the flesh, he said, you, speaking to, to the Roman believers, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ is still in the flesh, is still under the dominion of sin, but, but for those who have been given the Spirit of God, they, they, are, they do not live there. The, the Christian has been given a new nature in Christ. Now I want to talk just a minute about that nature, because I think oftentimes there's some confusion about um, this, this battle with the flesh and the natures that Christians have. You see, the believer is not composed of two natures, but of one nature. Maybe a nature that once was fallen, but now is renewed. Uh, still imperfect in the sense that we're not fully sanctified. Granted, I understand that. But still, we have been given a new nature in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason I want to make that distinction is because sometimes when we translate uh, the word sarks or, or flesh as the sinful nature, like, like the NIV does 
here in our passage today, it can be misleading because it gives the impression that each individual Christian is to divide it into two natures, that we have two natures within us. There is a, a higher, a, a spiritual, a heavenly mindedness that we have as Christians, but also within us there is this lower fleshly, earthly minded nature as well. And, and these two natures are vying for control in our lives. And, and I've heard that kind of teaching before. And so, you know, we, we look at that and we see that the battle that we have is, is within us. But the believer is not composed of two natures, but of one nature. Once uh, fallen and now renewed uh, in Jesus Christ. It, it, it is a new nature. Whereas, as I said before, in, in all of humanity, when we were born, we were born with a sinful nature. And we must live according to that nature. But as Christians, we've been given a new nature. So while we can still be tempted to sin, we also have the freedom to live in obedience uh, to Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Now, um, this, this, uh, this doesn't mean that we're not still tempted. You know, and, and sin still exists. And sin cries out to us and tempts us to surrender to, to, to um, tempts us to surrender to it and, and to seek to gratify the desires of the flesh. We, we're constantly being tempted by that. And as Christians, we remain in that same old world which is under the dominion of sin. That's where we live. And as such, we live in the polluted atmosphere of the flesh. You guys work there. You live there. That's where we exist. An atmosphere that at one time, we gladly breathed in the air. We gladly, you know, lived by uh, the sinful nature, but, but not anymore. As, as believers, I want us to see that there's sort of this overlap of the present evil age in which we live, and yet we belong to the age to come in one sense. So the believer's life becomes the battleground for consistency with uh, that renewed nature. It's a battle between the flesh and, and the spirit. Now, believers are called to live by the spirit. In other words, to live by the Holy Spirit. Literally, it, it says to walk by the spirit. And, and as I said before, this is a command. It's, a, it's an imperative. And it means to live in such a way that one's life is spirit-directed. That that's, as we look at our life, as we think about our to-do list, as we plan to go to work, as we decide how to spend our money, as we do all of the things that we do in life, that we do so in such a way that our life is spirit-directed. There, there is a sense in which we are seeking to submit to His leadership and function under His controlling influence so that we will not yield to the desires of the flesh. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. And this is not just a command, but it's a command with a promise. It says that the one living by the Spirit's direction will not live according to the flesh. Now, this sounds so simple, and, and you know, you could walk away from this if, if, if you were new to the Christian life, and you can think, oh, well, then I just need to live according to the Spirit. It's not really hard at all. But Sinclair Ferguson, in, 
and, and, and in a way to try to sort of help us to see that, that struggle, that battle that actually is going on in our life, he describes the Christian life like a recovering addict. If you know of anybody who's an addict to something, uh, pornography or drugs or, or shopping or whatever, you know, that you could be addicted to, you know, you may understand this. Sinclair Ferguson, he says, as long as we find ourselves under the threat from the old order, we are like recovering addicts, and we need to make daily decisions and commitments to live out the new life. This involves conflict and requires firm, determined, unwavering resistance. If you know of anybody that struggles with addiction, you know that they have to live their life very carefully. Maybe they belong to a support group or whatever that they go to where they, they find encouragement, and maybe they have to be careful to give up certain freedoms that other people can participate in because it may be uh, uh, something that, that causes them to fall and to trip and, and to sin. And so there is a, a very determined way in which they live. And in many ways, it's like that for the Christian. But Sinclair Ferguson, he, he goes on and he talks about a friend who had smoked in his life earlier. He, as a matter of fact, he enjoyed smoking very much, but he eventually gave it up. But his friend explained, he said, that every time, even though he had given up smoking, he said, every time that he sensed the aroma of smoke from someone's cigarette, he felt the old instincts and attractions surround and invade him and pull at his desires. He said it was a, a battle to resist. His addiction had been broken. Otherwise, there, there would, have, would not have been a battle. But, but there was a struggle there. And, and Sinclair Ferguson uses that illustration, and he says this is but a hint or a pale reflection of the nature and the magnitude of the conflict between flesh and spirit. The world is full of smoke. You see, that's where we live. And we feel that tension, do we not? We are sometimes drawn to that. The Christian life involves a battle, and it will until the day we die. Now, sometimes when people present the gospel, maybe they don't present it as fairly as they ought to. And sometimes when people present the gospel, they may imply that to come to faith in Jesus Christ means we're done with sin. Jesus took away my sins. I'm done. You know, no more to it. But the reality is we experience the desires of the flesh in our lives. And, and I want to say that because there may be Christians who are struggling in, in their walk with the Lord, and, and they wrestle with, with this sin, and, and there's a sense of, of guilt and condemnation. They come, and, and the question that is in their mind is, can I be a true Christian and desire sin as I do? To which Paul says, yes, that can be the case. There, there's a raging war going on between the flesh and and the spirit. And we need to recognize this battle because otherwise we may feel confused by the daily battle that we have in our lives as we wrestle with sin. We may feel like a hypocrite when we experience these, these sinful desires. And, and so oftentimes you find Christians who, who are struggling uh, with this question of, do I... Um, really with the question of, do I have this strong desire for sin sometimes? Do I sometimes want sin more than what I ought to? 
And, and they ask that question, and, and then, of course, the answer is yes. And so then they begin to question their walk with the Lord. But the critical question is not really, do I have strong desires for sin at times? The right question is, is there something in me that hungers for righteousness? Is there something in me that, that desires obedience and holiness? Do I hate the desire that I have for sin? Do I want to be set free from the sin that entices me? That's the right question. Because this is the mark of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That there is that sense in which we want to be set free from sin. Eric Alexander says this about this battle. He said, this battle is unique to the Christian believer. He said, far from being a contradiction to his profession as a Christian, it's a confirmation of it. Right? So if you have a battle that's taking place in you, then that's a confirmation that you're a Christian. That the flesh now experiences resistance to itself. Because the Holy Spirit is in your life as a believer. Christ has set you free. And now there's this tension. There is this battle. And so, brothers and sisters, the thing that ought to cause you concern is if there's no battle. If you don't have a battle taking place within you, if you, if you cannot say, I, I hunger for righteousness. If, if you are a person who says, yeah, I don't hunger for righteousness so much. I don't really want obedience. Or if you say, actually, I love my sin more than I love Christ. You know, if you say, well, you know, I don't really want to be a bad person, but I, but I don't truly long for God. If that's where you are, then you need to ask God to do a work in your life. If you are the kind of person who says, yeah, I want to follow Christ, but I only want to follow Christ if I can still fully participate in my sin. If I can do those things that, that as, as those desires come up, that I can just indulge myself in those desires. If that's the case, then you need to ask God to do a work in your life because that's not how the Spirit of God works. Because for the Christian, there is a desire for God. Now, I want us to keep those things in mind now as we sort of shift our focus and we sort of talk about how is it that we walk by the Spirit. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, there, there's not a lot here in our text that sort of tells us how that we walk by the Spirit, per se. Uh, but I want to give you five R's. And these are not original with me. I actually uh, borrowed these from Sinclair Ferguson uh, as he was uh, working his way through this passage. He, he says that there's five R's. And I'll, I'll repeat these through the, through the explanation. So if you miss one, you can get it later. But first of all, recognize... Second of all, remember. Third, realize. Four, respond. And five, reap. Recognize, remember, realize, respond, and reap. So the first thing we must do is recognize the enmity there is between the flesh and the spirit. Recognize 
the battle that is going on between the flesh and the spirit. You see, the more sensitive we are to the fact that we are living in a warfare context, the more successful we are going to be at living in the spirit. You see, the, the Christian who succeeds here is the one who recognizes the reality and the urgency and also the magnitude of the conflict in which is taking place. And, and we're in the middle of a battle between the flesh and the spirit, sort of like cosmic superpowers. They are waging a war against each other. Now, I like to watch the Marvel movies, uh, but I, I, I'm really not super good at knowing which movie is which, so I may be telling you the wrong movie. But I think it was the first Thor movie, I'm not sure, where Loki sends the robot down to fight Thor, right? And they're just sort of wreaking havoc on the earth. And, you know, they're, they're smashing each other and they're banging up cars and storefronts and people are running for their lives because of this, this cosmic war that is going on. And it's, it's a lot like that. But for us as believers, that war takes place in our lives. Our lives form the battleground in which it takes place. And so knowing this creates the alertness that we tend to lack. And it provides us with a motivation we need to compel us to be reminded to look to the Spirit of God to help us to stand firm. That we can't do this in and of ourselves. The battle is too great. The flesh is too strong. We must look to God's Spirit. And only those who are on their guard will be protected against the temptation. That's why Mark says in Mark 14, 38, we need to watch and to pray because while the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And so uh, as we look at this, we need to first of all recognize. The second thing we need to do is to remember the new status you've been given in Christ. Remember the new status you've been given in Christ. Yes, there's, there's a war for our lives. The flesh and the spirit are, are battling, but... We are not living in a no-man's land in between. In other words, we're not neutral territory. And, and we need to understand this. I remember my dad coming home one time and sharing an illustration he had heard from somebody. I want to say it was like an, an Indian proverb or something. I don't know. But he said, you know, I heard an explanation today about the Christian life, and it, it makes sense. Now, my dad wasn't a believer at that time. But he said, you know, somebody explained it this way. That it's like two dogs that live inside of us. And the one that you feed is the one that will grow stronger and will rule over you. And so as a Christian that sort of conveys the idea, we're, we're Switzerland. You know, we're just sort of neutral. And, and whichever power sort of gains the most authority in our lives is the one that controls us. But that's not who we are in Jesus Christ. God's Word tells us that we belong to the new creation, that we are in the Spirit, and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are not neutral. We, God's Spirit dwells within us. And if the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, Paul says Paul, we will have all the resources of the victorious Son of God to enable us to conquer the battle. Amen? That is so true. You know, and yet, how often do we as Christians, as we, as we think about the remnant of the flesh, will sometimes just sort of give ourselves over to say, you know, 
The sin's always going to be with me. The flesh is always going to be battling against me. So what can I do? And so we're tempted just to give in to the flesh. Just to give in to the desires. To, to just gratify those desires. And to make things even worse, uh, as Satan now is beginning to twist our thinking uh, in, into false thinking, then Satan takes us further to say, yeah, and by the way, what does it matter? All I have to do is sin and ask Jesus to forgive me, and he'll forgive me. And now we're at the point where, you know, we're saying, if we live by grace, then, then we can just sin, right? Paul says, heaven forbid, no! That's not who we are in, in Jesus Christ. And so we need to be careful. We need to understand that we have been given a new nature. And in that nature that we can walk in Jesus Christ, we should expect to see the Spirit of God causing us to mature in, in our inner man uh, and to become like Jesus Christ. The Father's love is ours in His Son, and the Son's gift is ours in His Spirit. Brothers and sisters, if you don't understand this, and I encourage you, take the first chapter of Ephesians and just start reading through that. Grab a commentary on Ephesians chapter 1 and just read the Scripture and read the commentary and, and just see as they unpack who you are in Jesus Christ. And understand that's the reality. That's what you are to live by faith because that's who you are in Jesus Christ. The third thing we need to do is to realize. Realize the calling you've been given to live by the Spirit and not gratify the flesh. Paul, in writing to the Christians at Rome, says in Romans 13, 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm sure many of you have heard of St. Augustine, right? Uh, a great uh, man of God um, who has written much, and, and I'm sure many of you have read his writings and stuff, but, you know, for many years, he was not a believer. Uh, his mother was, and she prayed for him that he would come to faith in Jesus Christ, but he lived sort of a wild, loose life for, for a long time. But it's this very text in Romans 13 that helped Augustine into the kingdom of God. Here he is sitting in his friend's garden, and he overhears a child's voice calling in sort of a, a sing-song fashion, apparently probably part of a game or something, Tolo lege, tolo lege, take it up and read. And so what does he do? He looks, and, and there's a copy of Paul's letter to the Romans. It's lying on the table. And so he picks up Romans 13, and Romans 13, 13, and 14 is what he read. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that's exactly what Augustine did. He put on Christ and he refused from then on to make provision for the flesh. Now that doesn't mean that he was sinless and he never sinned again. But he had lived a life. He had spent actually much of his previous life making the kind of provision for the flesh that any self-indulgent young man would. 
And, and he gave in a lot to the provision of the flesh. But since coming to faith in Christ, he did not do that. And, uh, and it was this that where he saw the change of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Brothers and sisters, we must learn more and more to do this day by day. No provision for the flesh. That, that ought to be the motto of every growing Christian. It has to be the motto of every growing Christian. And, and we are enabled to make it ours when we take hold of Christ and all that is for us and to us. St. Patrick uh, used to pray, as I understand, each morning this prayer. And you may not catch all of it, but just, just listen carefully. He, he prayed to the Lord and he said, I bind this day to me forever by power of faith. Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan, his death on the cross for my salvation, his bursting from the spice tomb, his riding up to the heavenly way, his coming at the day of doom. I bind unto myself today. In other words, what he was saying and what he was praying is, is that by faith that he would put on Christ and all the resources that Christ has given to him. And my question for us today is, have we ever done that? Do you wake up ever and think, this is who I am in Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to walk in this. Do you refuse to make provision for the flesh? This is the way of what it means to live by the Spirit. The fourth thing is that we are to respond. Respond sensitively to the Holy Spirit. You know, we're in a war zone and therefore we, we can't live just any way we want. If you're sort of laid back about your Christian life, that really sort of exhibits more the attitude and the mindset of the flesh than it does of the Spirit. Um, but, but the Lordship of Christ and the promptings of the Spirit lead us to obey the Lord even when it hurts, even when it's difficult. Uh, there's a sense in which we follow Him. In, in the bodies that we have been under the dominion of the flesh, we must keep deciding that now that we are in Christ and we will live consistently with our new identity and not according to the old nature. But we, we understand that to follow the flesh is, is to be inconsistent as a Christian because it is a realm from which we have been delivered and which we no longer belong to. We belong, brothers and sisters, to the age to come. And, and, and to walk by the flesh is to live in the present evil age. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And, and as sons of God, we know that we belong to His family. And therefore, we learn to put out of our lives everything that is not in keeping with the new family that we have become part of, with the family of God. We begin to be sensitive to Him. And we begin to avoid anything that would bring shame to our family name. And what we want more than anything is to have the smile of God upon us. And likewise, His frown is our greatest loss because we are in Him. The final thing that I want us to see in terms of walking by the Spirit is that we reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Look at the context, the, this, this teaching that Paul gives on the conflict between or the battle between the flesh and the Spirit. 
If you look over Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, we read this as part of our, our scripture reading from the New Testament. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You see, the more that we offer ourselves to the Spirit as, as seed to bear fruit by Him, the more we, we, we come to the Lord, the more we come to His Holy Spirit and we say, what will please you, Lord? That's what I want to do. The, the more we do that, the more we will see the Spirit of God produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, so on and so forth. And the more we produce the fruit of the Spirit, the more, I should say, the more we see the fruit of the Spirit produced in us, the less nourishment will be found in the soul of our hearts for the weeds of the flesh. Did you hear that? The more that we're, we're growing in the fruits of the Spirit and that, that nourishment of the soul of our heart is taking up in, in those godly things, there will be less nourishment for the weeds of the flesh. Now, Paul's uh, metaphor here, which is an agricultural one of sowing and reaping, is, is really a good one because it sort of reminds us that this is a long-term thing. And that whenever we, we uh, do anything, whether it's something we think, whether it's something we say, uh, something we act upon, some behavior that we have, we should always ask ourselves, what will be the ultimate fruit of this? You know, it's, it's interesting that if you read the Bible, and, and especially if you trace the life of those uh, who's, um, who were described in Scripture as patterns of sin in their lives, or, or, or sinful, you'll notice that, that they didn't look very far down the future. They were really looking to the moment. Even, even people like Eve in the Garden of Eden, as, she was, as Satan came and said, take this fruit, you'll be like God. You know, she wasn't thinking about that very long term. She was just thinking, this is my desire. I want to fulfill that desire. You look at David, who's on the rooftop in Jerusalem, and he sees Bathsheba getting out of the bath. And, you know, he's thinking about the moment. He's not thinking about that long term. Or, or Demas, the former companion of the Apostle Paul, and all of these things they tend to see with their eyes in terms of their own perceptions and their own desires rather than as God's children must do with our ears in terms of listening to God's Word. You see, the beauty of listening to God's Word is that it not only tells us what to do, but, but God is gracious oftentimes to tell us why it's so important to do those things and what are the outcome of doing those things as well. And so the battle in which we are engaged is, is ongoing. It's long. Sometimes it's very wearisome at times. And, and we may feel like we are making little headway. And Paul urges us here not to grow weary. Um, you see, here again, to use an agricultural illustration like sowing and reaping, you know, it's, it's a long-term thing. There will be a harvest, but that harvest might be sort of far off, and we must not give up. And you may be here to, this morning, and you may be in the midst of this battle, and you may be very weary, and you may be struggling, 
uh, in your walk with the Lord. Let me encourage you this morning by just reading a few scriptures. Uh, listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, some Christians feel that they are making little headway in, in their walk with the Lord. And, and one common reason might be that as we are seeking to make no provision for the flesh, it might be that we have become so engrossed with the flesh that we lose sight of the Spirit. Have you ever done that? You're struggling with some sin, and you're so focused on that sin and, and how I can overcome that sin and stop that sin that you sort of stop looking at who you are in Jesus Christ. You're so focused on the flesh. And inevitably, when we do that, then we take our eyes off of Christ. But it's only in Christ that we will find the resources we need to overcome the flesh and deny it the provision that it demands. And so keep your focus on Christ. Make sure you're familiar with the provisions for victory that God has given to you. He has made it possible, brothers and sisters, for us today to say that we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that way? Do you, do, you, do you expect that? Do you realize that as part of your life? That you are more than conquerors through Christ? It doesn't mean that we'll be sinless in our walk with the Lord. Uh, but Romans 8.38 lays out this glorious truth to us. This truth that we should walk by faith. And that's why the future is, is a series of small decisions to live the new life and not to fall back into the old life. The living in the Spirit means a daily commitment to please Christ and not to please ourselves. Why? Well, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Some of your translations may say the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, brothers and sisters, that's we've been set free to live for Christ in, in his power. Let us be people who walk in the Spirit. Let, let us not make provisions for the flesh, this is the only way to live the Christian life. It, it is, by definition, the pathway to holiness and part of what it means to be devoted to God. Amen? Let's bow our heads as we...
just reflect upon those words this morning. God, as we come to you today, we, we acknowledge that all of us are probably in different places in our, in our walk with you. But the one thing that is true and consistent with all of us is that, that we live our lives in the midst of a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And I just pray for us today, Lord, as a church, that, that we would walk in your spirit. God, that you would help us to see the, the great blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And where we are, are tempted to give in to sin and to think that sin is so much more powerful than we are able to overcome or to do, help us to remember it's not about us, but it's about you and what you have done in our lives and in our hearts. And help us to walk in the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I keep our eyes upon you. And I pray, Lord, this morning for any that might be here today, uh, that if, as they're honestly examine their own life, uh, they may see that their desire is not for you at all. There's, there really is no battle. That they just give in to the way that they want to live life and the way that they think is best. And, and God, you're not really a part of that formula at all. And I pray that you would work in their life, Lord, to see their sin and, and to, to turn to you to cry out for mercy. Oh God, that you might save them, that they might experience the true freedom that is given only in you. Oh God, we thank you so much because we don't, we don't deserve any of this, but we are so thankful for, for the freedom and that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to, to live that way, to live by your Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen.